You're listening to DraftKings Network. And I guess this is part of a larger message I like to say, and I've been spouting this since I left the Packers, that free agency isn't always what it's cracked up to be, that there are more of these cautionary tales I'm about to talk about than there are positive ones, that it's always buyer beware, and that the excitement around signing a big NFL free agent has to be muted because of past results show this is not a good way to build your team. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I am your host, one Andrew Brandt. We are sponsored, as always, by DraftKings, produced by Jack Connell, musical producer. That music you hear done by my son, Sam Brandt, at Boy Blue Tunes on Spotify. Hope you guys are having a good week. A lot to get to in my Brandt's Rants edition of the Business of Sports. Hope you enjoy this podcast and send it to a friend, show something that's unique out there among the landscape of sports podcasts, and basically trying to make you smarter about sports, about some of the key topics going on. We'll look behind the scenes and see what's really behind them. So I've got a few topics today, and we'll just get right into it without further fanfare. I want to talk about NFL cuts this week. Usually we talk about NFL cuts. It's like the start of the season, that's when teams are getting crafted and all these players, 20, 30 per team, are released and is that massive cutdown day. This is a little different. We're now week five of the NFL season and we had two major releases this week. That means veteran players cut from their teams only four weeks into their seasons. And for these two, only 21 games into their careers with these teams and only a year and a quarter into massive marquee free agent deals that were signed as purportedly five-year deals. And I guess this is part of a larger message I like to say, and I've been spouting this since I left the Packers, that free agency isn't always what it's cracked up to be, that there are more of these cautionary tales I'm about to talk about than there are positive ones, that it's always buyer beware, and that the excitement around signing a big NFL free agent has to be muted because of past results show this is not a good way to build your team. I know, I know. Everyone's going to point to the outliers, the exceptions, the people that move the needle, and I had one. And everyone knows I spent a month trying to sign and did Charles Woodson, who came from the Oakland Raiders to our team and made a massive difference in our team. Maybe the most important signing besides Reggie White the Packers have ever done outside the team. But when I say outside the team... That's the tried and true way to build teams is identify your core players, get them signed up, usually before the end of their rookie contract, to make sure they're on your team long term. Like the Packers, again, back to my experience, we were never, ever a low spending team. We were always a low spending free agent team. So understand the difference. We were never a low spending team compared to the rest of the league. We were always a low spending free agent team. So what does that mean? That means we spent the bulk of our spending on our own players, and we paid our players a lot, and they still do. You look at massive extensions in this current group of Packers, 
for Jair Alexander, for Kenny Clark, for David Bakhtiari. That's where they spend their money. And a lot of teams are like that. It's not just the Packers. This slipshod, quick fix, free agent thing, again, I'm biased, but it's like it doesn't work. And here is my Exhibit A and Exhibit B from this week. Okay, what happened? Well, remember when it was uh, J.C. Jackson coming from the Patriots, played his first four years of the Patriots, hits the pot of gold, gets to be a free agent, signs a massive, again, purported five-year, $82.5 million deal with the Los Angeles Chargers. Okay, so Los Angeles Chargers and J.C. Jackson have a deal for $82.5 million. That same week, in March of 222, Randy Gregory, who played his first six seasons with the Dallas Cowboys, signs a massive five-year, $70 million contract with the Denver Broncos. And there was a bidding war between Denver and Dallas, which is always a great thing for a player when you have two teams bidding for your services like they were. So at the time, 20 months ago, March 2022, sure, Teams are excited. Fans are excited. Media is excited. Agents call the media with these big numbers. These are huge, exciting, marquee free agent signings. Now reality hits. The Los Angeles Chargers released, I'm sorry, they traded him. It's like a release. They traded him back to the Patriots, and the compensation is ridiculous. They traded a seventh and Jackson in 2025 and Jackson for a sixth round pick in 2025. It's a ham sandwich trade. It's just trading something so you're not just dumping him. And the Patriots get him back. And to add insult to injury, the L.A. Chargers are paying the bulk of Jackson's $12 million salary this year. In fact, they're paying 10.5 of the salary, and the Patriots are playing, paying 1.5. So again, here's what happens. They sign a guy. They've paid him something like $38 million, right? $38 million over, over two years because they're paying this year, basically. They get four games. I'm sorry, seven games. He got hurt. I was actually at that game. He got hurt when the Chargers were playing the Seahawks in week seven last year. Hasn't played since. I think he was a healthy scratch early this year because he's able to play. So it was a massive bust. We talk about busts in the NFL draft. I mean, I guess you can talk about bust from a talent point of view, but bust from a financial point of view don't even compare to these free agent deals. $38 million the Chargers paid for a guy that played seven games for them and didn't play that well. And to make it even worse for the Chargers, they're taking an $11.5 million cap hit this year on Jackson. That means what he counts on their cap. And a $19 million cap hit next year, all on J.C. Jackson. You talk about a massive fail. As for Gregory, well, he goes to the Broncos, made 14 last year guaranteed, made 14 this year guaranteed. They're still trying to trade him. Whether they trade him or not, they're going to be on the hook for the vast majority of that. So they get 28, 28 million for 21 games. He had a handful of pressures, a handful of sacks. And these guys, you know, are potential business Hall of Famers for me. But again, the larger point is these are two Exhibit A's and Exhibit B's of what I keep talking about. Buyer beware. Free agency is not a panacea. It's not the end all. And the question I always had when we at the Packers were looking at a free agent is like, what's wrong? And we asked this, I asked this about Charles Woodson. Why is this team 
the incumbent team that knows him so well not trying to sign them? Why is his own team not trying to sign him? I would always ask that. Buyer beware in free agency. A more tried and true approach is identify your core players, sign them, homegrown spending. Better to pay the devil you know than the devil you don't. Okay. Next rant. Major League Baseball. Hey, as the postseason starts, it's a boom. Business is booming in the ML Major League Baseball. I saw the stats for 2023 attendance. Wow. <clears throat> 26 of the 30 teams, 26 of the 30 teams had attendance increases. And one of those teams that didn't make the Dodgers had a small decrease. And there were obviously, they, they lead the league in attendance. So one of the four teams that didn't have an attendance increase drew 3.84 million fans has the best attendance. So let's basically say three of the 30 teams did not have increased attendance. And one of those is a write-off. The Oakland A's basically desperate to get out of there, trying to go to Vegas. Team, you know, obviously they're they're giving a a, a flipping a bird to their fans. They're not going to get an increase in attendance. The other thing that's juicing attendance and juicing interest is we had teams getting to the playoffs that hadn't been for a while, and that are these markets dying for success. Minnesota Twins, Texas Rangers, Arizona Diamondbacks, Baltimore Orioles, Miami Marlins. Now they're out of the playoffs as of last night, but like, that's great. If you're a baseball executive, you're loving it because the watchword of any sport is competitive balance and you've got some competitive balance with this. It's great to see. New markets doing well, surging attendance, surging uh, teams, great playoffs. And then the other part of this is financial. And this is a mixed bag because the top three payrolls in Major League Baseball are the Mets, the Yankees, and the San Diego Padres. Out. Didn't even make the wild card. All three teams not in the playoffs. Okay, so when we look at the top three, you can make arguments both ways. Spending does not equal winning. And you can get back to that competitive balance argument and see that, hey, these teams are not spending, especially the Orioles, like 26th out of 30th in payroll and the great year that they had. Red Sox up there in payroll, not doing well. This is a great thing for people espousing competitive balance. Great baseball. But it's a mixed bag because payrolls number four through seven are definitely in the playoffs. That would be Rangers, uh, Phillies. Dodgers, Astros, and number nine and 10, also in the playoffs, Blue Jays and Braves. So Blue Jays out again as of last night, but top three payrolls are out. So there's a good thing. And the last thing on baseball, you know, it's an obvious point, but we, this needs to be said. Why was there such good interest in baseball this year? I think you can directly apportion it to the new rule changes, primarily the pitch clock. There are other things, the bigger bases, easier steals. These things move the game along. The average baseball games dropped a whopping 24 minutes from 305 to 240. 240. 240 is awesome, right? For a sporting event to be in and out in 240, that you know, NBA is around 220. This is great. And for baseball purists or anyone who says, well, it's a little more drama. No. No, 
what they cut out in baseball is extraneous. They didn't cut out any action. This kudos to baseball and Theo Epstein and whoever came up with this because it's perfect. It's perfect. If you want to juice interest in baseball, this is exactly what you should try to do. And they did it because the key to attracting and maintaining fan base is attracting and maintaining new, especially younger viewers. Younger people, they don't have time to sit around all day. And they love data and they love analytics and they love an opportunity to get in and out and move on to something else. I think it's great. I'm one of those people. I don't watch baseball, but I've started watching this week. I always watch in October. And I'm like, this is moving. This is kind of interesting. It moves. And the, again, the stuff they're cutting out of baseball, well, it's the wrapping the gloves. It's the picking the wedgie. It's fixing the jock strap. I mean, I guess you can still do that, but do it quick. <laughs> that pitch clock's going. I think it's great. Yeah, I think it's great. I, I, I can't commend baseball enough for this, and it's obviously worked. It's worked. I mean, people aren't coming to games more just because. You may have people, a lot of people that say, hey, 240, yeah, I'll do that. 305, yeah, not as interesting. Because, again, there's no argument for longer games. Because what they cut out is just dead time. It'd be great if the NFL could do this. The NFL is doing better. And they got so many commercials, I guess they can't run into that. But just a lot of the dead time with the official calls and an official having to tell the booth operator to fix a clock by one second. I mean, do that on a private, you know, little um, earpiece thing crazy. It's just amazing the NFL still has these arcane rules. Okay, kudos to baseball. Attendance up basically in all but three markets. Games shorter. New teams doing well. Awesome. Good for baseball. From baseball, we move to basketball. First, women. You're going to lead with women's basketball. News today, the WNBA is expanding with a team in Golden State, San Francisco Bay Area, owned by the Warriors Ownership Group, headed by Joe Lacob, and that price reported to be $50 million. So the WNBA has 12 teams, um, and the last move they had, the last expansion team they had was the Atlanta Dream, and that's 2008, so that's 15 years ago. Now, San Antonio had moved since to Vegas, which is hosting, by the way, the WNBA Finals starting this weekend. And then there was the uh, the Detroit team moved to Tulsa, and now in Dallas, the Wings. But those are moves. Now we have expansion. So expansion is good. It's a healthy sign for the league. All metrics are up. Now, WNBA is having some issues, labor issues about whether they can fly private. And and the the salaries is small. You know, I know people are never gonna they're never gonna get anywhere near the men's salaries. But one thing about the salaries is they're not commensurate percentage wise with revenues that the men have. You know, the men could be forty five, forty six, forty eight to fifty, fifty. However you look at it, percent of basketball revenues, the women's rev the women's salaries are not fifty percent of revenues. Now, I don't know what the reasons are, but there is collective bargaining. So we'll see where this goes with the women. But here's a positive metric in the business of sports. New expansion team, Golden State, 
$50 million. Now the question becomes, that's a 13th team. Will there be a 14th team? A lot of willing applicants out there trying to become the 14th team. I can think of Charlotte, Philadelphia, Denver, and then non-NBA cities like Nashville. So we'll see where that goes. I would think we'll have another team. And, uh, you know, being around Philly, I think that would do well. I know Charlotte would do well. I think Denver would do well, too. Probably Nash, that all do well, especially in the early, you know, the honeymoon period of first couple of years. So WNBA expansion. Now, moving to the NBA, I haven't talked to you. I talked a little bit about the Lillard trade last week. Now we have the holiday trade. Now, I'm not a basketball CBA and contract expert, but there's a hard cap. There's no hard cap in, in the NBA. It's a soft cap. That's why we have these payrolls massively ahead of the uh, stated cap of, I believe this year is about 130 something million, which in itself is amazing for 15 players, $130 million cap. But there's going to be some more restriction spending. If you go above what's, there's going to be a first apron and a second apron. Once you get above the first apron, you've got limitations on what you can do with the uh, exception, the mid-level exception, whether it's the tax, accepts, tax exception or the non-tax exception. There's going to be limitations what you can do on trades, whether you can get back, uh, where you can aggregate salaries for a trade. Um, those limitations aren't going to hit till next year, which really, I think, is behind this Drew Holiday trade. The Celtics match up. Robert Williams and Malcolm Brogdon salary equal about $34 million and get back Drew Holiday equaling about $36 million. Listen, on a basketball standpoint, it's on a sports standpoint, I'm more conservative. I just, this is kind of a LA Rams few years ago way of doing things. Go for it, right? And the Celtics and the Bucks are clearly going for it. But let's talk about the Celtics. They've got six players, basically. They've got Tatum Brown, uh, now Drew Holiday, um, Derek White, and of course, Al Horford um, with Kristaps Porzingis. So they got six and everyone else is going to be making minimum or close to minimum. Is that a way to build a team? We're going to find out. But listen, the Celtics, I'm not as high on that trade as everyone else. And I love Drew Holiday. But they've lost Brogdon and Williams, and earlier they lost Grant Williams to free agency, and then they traded Marcus Smart. So they had eight rotation strong players last year. Now they have six. And yeah, there's more opportunities for players that are down the road, down the line there. But that's no depth. Now I'm a Sixers fan. I'm biased. Sixers don't have the greatest bench in the world, but they have more depth. And if Harden stays, you know they'll have more depth. So we'll see. Uh, it's an all-in move from the Celtics. If, you know, Chris Porzingis has some injury history, Al Horford is whatever years old. How can he hang? Can he hold on? So we'll see. I mean, I think it's an all-in move. The problem with all-in moves is when all-in doesn't work. And then you're left with the detritus of what's left out after. Right? So this happens all the time in football. It's happening to the Rams right now. Before the Rams, it happened to other teams along the way. Um, 
and you're stuck with heavy burdens cap-wise and contract-wise. Contracts are just hanging over you like albatrosses from an era where you were going for it, and then they'll look to trade. Do we really think all these six contracts, or let's say five, forget about Horford, who's nearing the end, are going to be there for the life of their contracts with the Celtics? We'll see. I mean, you've got four, you're going to have four players, five players, no, four players, sorry. You're going to have Tatum Brown, Holiday, uh, and Porzingis, all over $30 million soon on a $134 million cap. So that's 120 something, maybe 125, 130 to fill the other 11 positions with 4 million. It's just not going to happen. So you're going to have to have aprons and second aprons, more like a hard cap, even though there's never a hard cap in the NBA. It's more looking like a hard cap, what came out of this um, new CBA. So again, this is something like what I talked about the opening with free agencies. Fans, media seem to love the stars aligning together, and but it's risky. It's a risky proposition for the Boston Celtics. Just my opinion. Okay, lastly, I haven't talked about this, I don't think, on the pod, but I have to address it. It's kind of the story in football this year. The Dion factor in college football. The Dion factor at Colorado. I mean, everyone has different takes on it. I just think the one thing that we've never seen is uh, this kind of glitterati at a college stadium. Maybe it happens at USC, but people are flocking to Colorado games. Uh, the team is hot. The team is cool. The team is the it team, all because of Dion. Now, Dion has that charisma. He has that gravitas that very few people have. And this is not new. We had it as a player, as everyone knows. He had it as a broadcaster at ESPN. I remember trying the powers that be trying to recruit Deion Sanders, trying to outbid NFL network. He went with NFL network and NFL network. People told me when he went on the air, you could judge these things in matter in minutes, the measurements measure, the ratings would spike. The moment he came on the air ratings would drop the moment he went off the air. So that's how big a factor he is. Now he's changing the culture. He's got all new players and he's trying to, you know, we'll see how they are. I don't, it's really unrealistic to expect how they're going to do big time, you know, and all they played USC tight. But here's the thing on the financial angle. He did a five-year, $30 million contract. And I remember the AD, Rick George, saying at the time, we don't have the money, but we'll get the money. And boy, have they gotten the money. I don't know what the numbers are, but major uh, donations from Fundraising, obviously, to the school, to the athletic department, to the NLL collective fund. And then season tickets alone have increased 14 million from 2022 to 2023. Well, that's half the money for the contract right there. That's 14 million. That's half, almost half the $30 million contract. And if I remember right, this contract has a lot of completion money. So it's not 30 million, but if Dion's there, year, I'm just making it up, year four a completion bonus, year five, a bigger bonus, year six, uh, a much bigger bonus. So this is something where the longer he stays, I believe, which is well done, the more he's going to make in terms of average. Uh, and they just paid for half the contract with increased season tickets. It's only going to continue. And I know everyone's going to just jump on, where's he going to go next? I think 
think he'll stay at Boulder at least a couple of years. I mean, he doesn't want to be seen as that kind of coach that's jumping around. Um, but someone will come after him from an even bigger school with a lot more money. But the Dion factor is real. And I think that everyone's looking for fundraising. Everyone's looking for increased donation. Everyone's looking to be relevant in this massive scheme of college sports. The football teams are the storefronts for the whole university. Applications are way up at UC Boulder. It's all working because of one guy. Uh, so that's value. When we talk about the business of sports, when we talk about quarterbacks versus running backs, when we talk about ownership versus players, we know where the value lies. And in college sports, the value lies with dynamic personalities, whether it's Nick Saban, who's not that dynamic, or they're just these larger-than-life figures, and Dion is obviously one. Okay. That'll do it for my 30-minute quick hit on the business of sports and rants. Share this with a friend. Sign up for the newsletter if you're not already, andrew-brandt.com. My reels at andrewbrandt2, where I get into these things on a quick hit basis. Twitter, Andrew Brandt. Column at Sports Illustrated. Of course, this podcast. Share with a friend. If you want to donate, support the podcast. My Venmo is andrew-brandt-20. Hope you guys have a great week. Thanks to Jack Connell, my producer, musical producer, Sam Brandt. Leave us comments. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. And have a great week and weekend. Enjoy it. I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.